Dave Wilson there with What Shines is a Thought That Lost Its Way. What follows is my interview with Dave from just the other week. I'm joined now by Dave Wilson, a Wellington-based saxophonist, bass clarinetist and composer who has a fantastic new album out December 1 on Thelonious Records entitled Ephemeral. The album features a real who's who of fantastic Wellington jazz musicians, including Callum Allardis, Ben Hunt, uh, Chris Benink, and Hikarangi Shavarian Carr. Dave joins me now. How are you going, Dave? I'm going good. I'm really uh, excited about this release. It's been a long time coming and really happy with how the project's been turning out. Excellent. That's great to hear. So for listeners who may not be uh, particularly familiar with your biography, you have a very interesting background. Uh, You were born in Chicago. You spent a decade uh, in L.A. And you've also spent time in northern Macedonia uh, before you came to New Zealand seven years ago. So can you tell us a little bit about uh, what drew you to these these places uh, and um, maybe a little bit about the different musical scenes or different musical collaborations that you've been involved in in these different locations? Yeah, it's interesting. I've, I feel like uh, in the course of my life, I've kind of, uh, I don't know, wanted to always follow my interests and follow my passions. Um, I think that's part of how I was raised um, in the Midwest of the United States with values like hard work and respect for other people. Uh, and so I, when I first uh, finished my music degree, I studied at Indiana. I kind of decided I needed a break from the kind of music conservatory environment. And that's when I first went to the country that's now called North Macedonia. Uh, used to be called Macedonia to the capital city of Skopje. And at that time I was working with a nonprofit organization um, actually a Christian organization. I used to be more religious. Uh, and we were working in, uh, universities, mentoring students, uh, doing leadership development, things like that. But I brought my alto saxophone. Uh, I, w- I was living there for two years. I did an internship with this company and started meeting musicians there, uh, and did some recordings and some performances. Uh, but that was one of the first times I started really understanding what um, it meant to play music with and to relate with and to um, work with people who had really radically different backgrounds than I had um, in many different facets of their lives. You know, I learned a new language when I was there. Um, And so that perspective I began to carry with me to the different places that I've lived. Um, After that, I decided that I did want to start a music career and the Los Angeles environment seemed to suit me um, better at that time uh, than other options I was considering. So I moved there um, and began my career working in lots of different genres, pop music. Uh, I worked with the kind of traditional pop artist, Engelbert Humperdinck, for a long time, playing in his band, touring the world, <laughs> uh, which, you know, musically is not really, it doesn't have a lot in common with this project, for example, but it also gave me a chance to really understand lots of different musical worlds mm. uh, and figure out what it meant to contribute musically to something um, that an artist was kind of, you know, looking for that would help their kind of 
um, thing happened. So played with a lot of different types of artists, started going back to North Macedonia as a researcher um, while I was based in L.A., uh, while I was doing my postgrad at UCLA there, um, and really got into looking deeper into kind of music's role in society and how mu- what music had to do with politics and gender and ethnic identity, sexuality, these types of things. And in the context of Skopje in North Macedonia, I played with and worked with a lot of musicians. Um, I, I, I did a record there called On the Face Plays with a group I put together called CSPS Ensemble, uh, which is a group of kind of the leading jazz musicians and a few other musicians from other types of music there that we recorded. Um, but also did like, you know, academic publications about in the areas of kind of political and social theory based on the work I was doing with musicians there. So um, after that, um, I wrapped up my postgrad um, and, you know, I've continued those musical connections as much as I can um, and ended up getting a job down at uh, Victoria University of Wellington at the New Zealand School of Music, Tekoki, here in Wellington. And so I've been here since uh 2016 since i got that job uh and in my work at the university i'm really teaching and focusing on um kind of those more uh research-based classes um guiding students into kind of thinking more deeply about what um their musical lives whatever that looks like um are embedded in society why that's meaningful how that connects to their identities uh, we think a lot about how music making here relates to te tiriti o etangi. Um, so that's been a really a gratifying part of the class to explore that with students. Um, and then mentoring postgrads in a number of areas as well. Um, so that's kind of how this project came about just through being embedded in the Wellington music community for the last seven years, developing relationships with players um, in several different types of kind of musicality and wanting to bring those together um in this kind of album that celebrates these types of musical friendships and relationships fantastic so why the album title ephemeral do you want to speak a little bit about that sure yeah so this set of compositions they're all improvisation based but they're all definitely compositions of mine um and i was exploring kind of half of the tracks are on bass clarinet half of them are on tenor saxophone with this group that includes a string quartet and then the musicians you mentioned. Um, and what I realized as I, these compositions kind of have come together over the last few years. And as I developed them one by one, I started to recognize a theme emerging that each one of the compositions was inspired by or was exploring something that was very difficult to capture in words, whether a feeling or a relationship uh, with another person or a relationship with some part of the natural world that, of course, we're also part of. And um, these types of, I don't know, things and feelings and relationships that I that these compositions were trying to capture were all things that I realized were kind of temporary in one way or another. Mm. Uh, and you know, moments that you share with someone, you know, you try to 
remember that, but that moment comes and then it goes away. And so I realized everything that I was kind of dealing with was ephemeral, you know, something that is just here for a brief mm. time. Um, mm. And so that it was more emergent after I had kind of uh, completed these um, compositions, I realized they were all in that area um, where the sound and the way people are improvising around the compositions is trying to, in a real moment, encapsulate um, how this particular group of people would feel about something that had disappeared. <laughs> very good, very good. So as you mentioned before, uh, the album features both uh, a jazz quintet uh, and also a classical string quartet. So how did you approach integrating the two together, the string quartet, with what is often quite a groove-oriented jazz ensemble? For example, the opening track, Speak to Me of Yesterday and Tomorrow, as elusive as the dead, there's some very interesting uh, rhythmic layering going on there. Uh, were there any particular challenges in that process? Yeah, one of the, one of the things that as I write, um, as I've written all this music and conceived of it, one of the key things I wanted to do was bring together musicians with as many different ways of listening in the group as possible. And so some of the players, a number of the players have experience in kind of small jazz groups. Mm. Some of the players have experience in pop groups or mm. indie rock groups, which is a different type of listening altogether. Mm. Some of the players have experience in kind of chamber ensembles in classical music. Mm. Some have experience in orchestras. Mm. And all of those are really different types of listening. And I personally have done a lot of those different types of listening and your ears are kind of attuned to different things. Mm. And so what I've avoided, like I haven't actually ever used the word jazz to describe this project or classical music <laughs> um, because I'm trying to avoid thinking of it as um, cobbling together two things in kind of an mm. artificial way. And I really wrote the music um, in a way where um, different kind of, um, groupings of people are listening to each other in different units. Mm. Um, and so especially um, one of the tracks, uh, what shines is a lot is a what shines is a thought that lost its way. Mm. Um, I actually attempted to play that without the strings recently with the other players, and it didn't really work. Right. Uh, because right. composition has uh, you know one of the violin players you know, really integrated with, you know, another one of the musicians who's not a string player mm. and these kinds of things, the layers kind of all have to be there for the music to mm. work. Mm. Uh, and so it's kind of like directing each person's listening to different parts of the ensemble at different times mm. uh, and unlocking the multiple dimensions of what that listening can do in terms of how a musician responds to the moment. Now, I will say, like the challenges you know, about your question about the challenges. Um, all of these players improvise in different ways, um, and there's a very you know when someone goes through like a jazz school, which a lot of the players here have, they're taught to read chord symbols and interpret mm -hmm. them through certain uh, patterns and scales and, and pitches and things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas a lot of players who improvise, let's say in pop music or orchestral music, they don't learn that type of jazz um, kind of chord spelling and these types of things, but they also improvise. 
yeah. in many different ways. And so uh, what I did in notating the music was notate um, kind of in whatever way, sometimes in written words, other times in kind of pitches, um, musical language that each player could understand on their own terms to unlock the way they would, that they would improvise and interact. So for example, um, in one of the initial scores parts for the, um, one of the violin players, I wrote something like, okay, um, improvise with the trumpet over D Dorian. Mm. Cause like, you know, classical musicians, they know what D Dorian is. Yeah. Yeah. And so in, in the rehearsal, I asked them like, is that okay? Does that make sense? Mm. And the violin player said like, well, yeah, that makes sense. I just not really keen to do music theory while I'm playing. So <laughs> I know what D Dorian is, mm. but can you just write down the pitches on the score instead? And I'll just go, you can turn me loose then. And I was like, Oh yeah, sure. So I just changed it. So I wrote the pitches and mm. it would be just the same as writing for a jazz player, you know, D minor seven or something like mm. that. Mm. Um, and they ended up just then that opened up the potentials of their, what their listening could do to kind of integrate with the rest of the group. So it was really kind of like meeting each musician on their own terms so that mm. they could get music what it needed from them at that particular moment. Mm. Fantastic. That that sounds like a um, really, really interesting approach. Uh, so you mentioned that particular track, What Shines, is a thought that's lost its way. Uh, it's a very intriguing title. We'll, we'll actually have a listen to that track uh, in a moment. Uh, is there anything you want to say about the inspiration behind that? Yeah, so this this composition um, is about a couple things. I started thinking a lot about um, this is, I probably wrote this, you know, over the last in the last year or two um, kind of during the COVID-19 pandemic and all the different things that happened to people um, after that started. And one of the things I noticed was um, that a lot of kind of long lasting um, relationships were ending. You know, people were having mm -hmm. divorces, people were having breakups mm -hmm. for a lot of different reasons brought on by, you know, what the pandemic looked like in their lives. Mm -hmm. And so in some ways, this composition is a tribute to um, that type of loss and that type of grief and what comes uh, through that and after that. Um, but the specific inspiration, there was a, a particular uh, friend of mine who had a relationship end, and one of the symbols of their uh, relationship was the aurora. Uh, the Aurora Borealis or down mm. here, the Aurora Australis. Mm. And so I started thinking about that as a metaphor for their relationship and my own grief about their relationship uh, ending and thinking about the Aurora as this very ephemeral thing that appears and disappears. So as I was exploring that and thinking about that, I came across a poem uh, by the poet Rita Dove. And this is from... 1986, I think she wrote um, this kind of lengthy um, book of poetry called Thomas and Beulah, which ended up winning the Pulitzer Prize. And she has a poem there about the Aurora, uh, Aurora Borealis. Um, and 
this phrase is kind of an adaptation of one of the phrases from that poem, which is right. also about a relationship between a man and a woman. Mm. Uh, and yeah, I felt that this, that phrase really encapsulated um, what someone could sense from the Aurora, what shines is a thought that lost its way, but also it really kind of encapsulated a lot of what um, these types of relationships, COVID, the COVID pandemic had illuminated some things in relationships that kind of felt that way to me um, and just kind of has that sense of, um, you know, something bright, like a light shining, but also kind of grief and melancholy, uh, which I think this piece and a lot of the music on the album has that kind of happy, sad, melancholic quality mm. to it, which I think when we think back on things that were beautiful or things that were painful that are now over, we have this mix of emotions. And mm. this this recording has um, kind of three different sections um, and I like to think about each of those sections kind of, uh, involving sort of that complex mix of emotions. Um, even the last, last section, um, uh, kind of has a groove and a beat to it. Um, that sort of in some ways encapsulates some of the intensity of these types of re relational strains. Um, and also that kind of mix of, um, joy that can come after um grief or that can be mixed with grief when something comes to an end mm. very interesting indeed uh so we talked before a little bit about um some of the kind of um technical challenges involved in, in putting together uh an ensemble such as this uh what were some of the your favorite aspects of working with the particular musicians you chose for this project because it strikes okay. me that you've pro probably chosen them for particular strengths they have as players. Absolutely. I mean, one thing I've been doing leading up to the release, um, if listeners want to check it out, I've been doing tributes to each musician on my Instagram where I'm kind of writing these lengthy um, posts, um, appreciating some of the qualities. So I kind of go into more detail about each person in the project there if people want to take a look. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the really exciting things um, in the development of the project and on the recording was working with the cellist, Benny Sneed Utting, on this project. Uh, Benny's a young cellist uh, student just finishing their degree um, at New Zealand School of Music, Tekoki, and originally played with the group because um, everyone else was busy for a certain gig and he had, uh, Benny had been recommended. Um, and on the last track of the album, Keep It To Yourself, um, we, uh, I asked Benny if they would want to, um, play an improvised solo. Uh, and it's kind of like a musician at that stage of their career, um, still kind of has the openness in what they're listening for and listening to. I think Benny, they just have like a really a particular and uh, particular openness anyway. And so one of the real joys for all of us, you know, some of us are, have been playing music for a long time. Some people are really accomplished in their careers. Um, you know, people are winning awards and playing in the ends at a so and things like that. But to have a player in the group who's really kind of at the beginning of their career 
Mm. Um, and playing this gorgeous, really responsive, musically intuitive improvisation on the cello, we were all really inspired um, mm. by this kind of courageous playing of Benny. Um, and in the studio, we recorded this um, first, um, just in case Benny was nervous and needed to get it out of the way uh, mm. before we recorded everything else. But I felt on the record itself, it was appropriate to have that piece last. Um, so to me, that's kind of like a really, um, Benny's playing on that particular, um, improvisation to me, it was a really kind of, it's full of kind of like emotion and charisma and sweetness. Mm -hmm. And I felt like that was a really good conclusion to the record, um, to feature Benny's cello solo there because it was such a special moment for all of us as we're kind of inspired by the next generation of musicians. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. And it is a really beautiful end to the record, as you say, a record which has uh, a whole host of beautiful moments throughout. Uh, the last question I was going to ask is, that, do you have any plans to tour with the album? This album right now, we're doing a uh, release show that I think will have happened by the time this is broadcast in Wellington at the Newtown Community Centre. And what we're doing there is we're doing a collaboration with a visual artist, um, Rachel Nesser, who has uh, designed a system with, I don't know what kind of algorithm that responds to live sound with visual projections that are abstract onto a screen behind us. So I'm really excited about that element. Um, I'll also be reading from the liner notes. Um, and I've asked some friends who are, um, writers and scholars and musical artists to read some of the poetry um, mm. that inspired the record, including Aurora Borealis by Rita Dove uh, and a few others. Mm. Um, and so that, um, because it's such a big project, non-musicians, mm. visual mm. element, uh, what I'm kind of hoping to do is um, pitch this project in that form to arts festivals and these types mm. of events because it is this really multi-sensory, multi-dimensional, story-based, very mm. personal project for me. Mm. Um, I feel like connects with that type of audience. Um, one of the things I've also thought about doing is, because it's so improvised, and I've written the music so that, you know, any musician probably could understand uh, mm. and themselves to it. I've thought about, you know, if I'm in the U.S. Um, on a visit or, you know, want to do the project there. Mm. I thought about experimenting with getting local players in a given city together. Right. Mm. Or kind of, okay, what did, what do these particular musicians bring to this project? Mm. Uh, so those are the kind of the um, tentative plans right now. For now, I'm getting through the release. Uh, <laughs> got the vinyl for sale on Bandcamp. Uh, really trying to get the word out uh, about what yeah. this project is. I'm really getting the word out about the kinds of musicians and the kinds of musicalities uh, that are happening in Wellington, mm. uh, you know, and that are happening in New Zealand, mm. really trying to get the word out about all the really exciting um, artistic things that people are working on. And just, you know, for me, it's a real honor to play with all these musicians and to have them playing on my project. So um, starting out with the Wellington performances, and then we'll see kind of what next year holds. Excellent. Thanks very much for joining me, Dave. And uh, we'll hear a little bit more of the music now. 
That was a Radio 1 91 FM podcast. You can find more at r1.co.nz or wherever quality content is found.